grace and peace, peace, this is yours. And it comes from Jesus, our Savior who came, born as a baby, and will come again to take us to be with him. Dear Christian friends, last week we, we kicked off our series by looking at hope, right? The hope that we have, the excitement that builds around this time of the year as we look forward to Jesus coming. Both his coming on Christmas, that's probably the more common, but also as we look forward to his coming again. And, and though it, it certainly causes us anticipation, right? Excitement. You heard the kids, right? Howling, screaming, hooting, hollering. Christmas is a good thing. But perhaps more than just anticipation, Advent is really about preparation. We talked about it a little in our children's message this morning, but, but you know this, right? Christmas is, is filled with preparation because if you don't prepare, oh, Christmas Eve is a madhouse scramble that's no fun. Christmas Day, not enjoyable. There's so many things to prepare, right? There's maybe travel plans if you're, if you're traveling or if someone else is traveling to you. There's food to prepare. There's Christmas card lists to prepare. There's buying presents, wrapping presents, giving presents. There's parties. There's, the list goes on and on and on, right? There is so much to prepare for. And yet what's kind of funny, though, if you stop and think about all of the time we spend preparing for things, we usually prepare far longer than the actual event, right? I mean, your wedding, if you're married, think about it. How many months did you prepare for that day? If you're a student, you spend hours in class, you spend hours outside of class studying, preparing for one test. Athletes, they train, off-season training even, nutrition, working out, right? Then they practice for hours and hours, all for a game that lasts maybe 60 minutes, maybe a little longer. There's a, a tremendous amount of preparation that goes into this event. But how do we prepare for Jesus? And I don't mean the, the external things, right? I don't mean the, the wrappings and the presents and the parties and the lights and the decorations. How do you and I prepare ourselves for Jesus? For his coming on Christmas, for his coming again on Judgment Day? And maybe that's something that isn't, isn't quite as obvious, right? I mean, there's traditions that fill society, maybe traditions that you have for your family that we know how we prepare for Christmas. But how do you personally prepare for Christ's coming? Anytime we face something that's difficult, there's always a really easy place to look for answers. And so this morning we go to the Word of God, specifically to the words of preparation that the prophet Malachi speaks. Malachi was one of the last prophets that God used as his messenger before there was a, almost a 600-year gap before John the Baptist came, fulfilling the message that God spoke. So let's take a look at Malachi chapter 3. God says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then, Suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to, you, to his temple. 
The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. The Lord used the prophet Malachi to warn his people about the spiritual danger that they were putting themselves in. They had slipped into kind of a spiritual malaise, a spiritual funk, that it was, it was going through the outward motions. There were, there were some of the trappings. Okay, yeah, I punched the clock at the temple today. I did what I was supposed to do. But there was something that was very much missing. And especially from God's perspective, God who, who doesn't just look at what we do and what we say, but who looks at what's in our hearts. And God sent this messenger, Malachi, whose name means my messenger, ironically, as a warning and an encouragement to his people. Hey, I'm going to send two messengers and they're going to have very specific and very important jobs. The first messenger was going to come and prepare the way for the Lord, right? We just heard about it. We just sang about it. And here we hear about it again from Malachi. That's John the Baptist. The Bible is very clear that he is the fulfillment of those promises and prophecies from God hundreds of years before. That he is the one who came to prepare the way and prepare people for Jesus. The way John went about that, though, was, was pretty different. I mean, not only did he wear really odd clothes and he had a very strange diet, if you've looked into it, wild locusts and honey, kind of odd. He lived out in the middle of nowhere, and yet people came to him. And, and the, the most amazing part is John's message was really different. John's message was not the outward show encouraging. It wasn't just a surface level spirituality. It wasn't just some, some self-help good talk. John's message was about you and me, about the people then and about the people today and what we really need to hear. Because there was a whole lot of the external talk, there was a whole lot of the surface level and the self-help in Malachi's day, in Jesus' day, and still today. But John, no, John had something different. His message was to prepare the way for the Savior. Now, in Hebrew, the word prepare has this idea, a picture behind it, of removing obstacles. John talks about removing things, doesn't he? Right? Removing, making, making this path clear. Right? He talks about the, the mountains in the way that we're going to, be, we're going to bring them low. And he talks about the valleys, we're going to raise it up so we've got a nice flat surface. And he's going to talk about the, he talks about all the, the crooked, the twists, the turns, straighten that out. And those rough and bumpy patches, make them smooth. But John wasn't talking about the roads in ancient Israel. He's talking about the hearts in ancient Israel and the, the hearts in modern America and everywhere else. See, because our hearts have obstacles. They have obstacles in them. We, we don't like to think of that, maybe. 
right? We, we like to think that, no, my, my heart is, is good, it's pure. But that's not what, what God describes. He describes mountains. He describes valleys. He describes pretty rough spots. And it's not because of, of plaque and cholesterol. It's because of sin. The way that John the Baptist describes it, if you read through the Gospels, though, it, it actually made me think of, of something else. It made me think of clutter. Because if, if you've ever seen clutter, pretty sure we have, right? Clutter is that stuff that, that just accumulates. And, and it kind of just, it seems like it happens all on its own, doesn't it? And, and clutter is the stuff that is just always in the way. It, it's covering stuff. It's in the way of this path. And if you happen to look in my office, you would know why clutter comes to mind. I have papers pretty much everywhere. I have piles of books. I have cartridges of toner, copier, or copier toner. I have clipboards. I have binders. I have, I have classes that are coming up. I have paper. I have stuff. I have clutter everywhere. My office is a mess. I won't show you a picture because you'd be very sad for me. I have clutter. But clutter isn't just reserved for pastor's offices or our living rooms, is it? No, see, clutter, when John the Baptist is talking about it, he's talking about not piles of papers. He's talking about something else. And it's our first takeaway this morning. He's talking about spiritual clutter that builds up in my heart. See, because it's funny. We don't generally try to make piles of stuff, right? We don't generally try to accumulate clutter. It just kind of happens. And, and that's, I think, often true in our hearts, right? We don't try, we don't set out the day going, boy, I'm really going to worry today. But we do. We worry about this thing and we worry about that deadline and we worry about how are we going to, how are we even going to do that and, and how is this going to go? And we worry. And it's clutter clutter and more clutter. And we hold on to, to past hurts, to grudges, to frustrations and anger. And it builds up and it's clutter, clutter and more clutter. We have disillusionment, right, of, of how the world tells us we're supposed to celebrate Christmas or even how we're supposed to live. And it's clutter and clutter, and more clutter. We have anger, bitterness, clutter, clutter, clutter. We have all this garbage that just piles up inside and, and doesn't belong and needs to be gone because it's clutter. It's more clutter. Do you know what the worst part, though, about all this clutter is? Here's the real danger behind the clutter, not just in my office, but in our hearts. It's our second takeaway. That over time, I become comfortable with all the clutter in my heart. I call this becoming a functioning clutterer. Yeah, I made up the word. But I'll be honest, I'm, I'm starting to feel that way. Like, I... 
You might think if, I, if you walked into my office that I don't ever wade in there with the intention of throwing stuff out and putting things away. I do. That's the really scary part. Because you wouldn't know it, right? You, you do the work, you clean it up, and, and it doesn't take long before more stuff comes in and more reports and more paper and more books and more this and more that. And, and we're back where we started. And, and it wasn't like I set out trying to do it, but it's almost like it's just tempting to to quit fighting the clutter battle and just give up, right? And that's the danger for our hearts. To just quit fighting the battle. To just say, you know what? I can't help it. I'm just an angry person. I'm just a worrier. That's just who I am. To say that, that all of this, that, that this is the way I act, this is the way I think, there's nothing I can do to fix it. There's nothing I can do to control it. It's just a part of me. We just go on living. We just say, it's okay. I'm just going to be a functioning clutterer with the spiritual clutter in my heart. And where that's really dangerous is if you've ever had clutter in your house, right? If you don't take care of it, what happens? It doesn't stop accumulating. And pretty soon there's no room to move. There's no room to work. There's no room to decorate. And the same happens in our hearts. If we don't clear out the clutter, there's no room for the good. That's our, our third takeaway, that my spiritual clutter, all of the, the preoccupation with worry and anger and fear and all of these other things, it can crowd out forgiveness. It can crowd out joy and peace and eventually even Jesus from my heart. And here's the thing about clutter. If you've ever tried to live with it, whether it's in your office or in your heart, you know that it's stressful, right? You know that it doesn't, it's not a peaceful place. My office is not a peaceful place at the moment. And our hearts, when they have clutter, the spiritual clutter building up, it's not a heart that has peace. That's why John's message was so important. John's message was so different. It wasn't just about, you know, okay, we'll just straighten the piles a little bit. It wasn't about, okay, we'll just, just you know, shift this around and figure out how to work over that. No, John's message was so different. It was so radically different. It was so simple. It was repent. And, and sometimes we, maybe we don't always know what repent means. Repent is, is a very simple word in in ancient Greek, it meant to turn. It meant to turn away from sin and to turn to God. Literally, our fourth takeaway, repent means to change in my heart and in my mind. It means that I don't become comfortable with my sinful spiritual clutter. That I don't say, it's okay, it's not a big deal. But that I look at it and I go, this has no place in here that I changed my, my mind and my heart about the sin in my heart, in my life. And I said, this has no place here. And I don't want it here. I don't want this clutter that keeps choking out relationships. I don't want this, this sinful clutter that keeps bringing me down into the depths of despair and fear and worry. I don't want to function like this and that's why John the Baptist came with this message of repent. But it was never meant to be just a standalone message. 
It was a message that led to something else. It wasn't just change your hearts and your, your minds, get rid of all this junk. But it was get rid of all this junk because someone is coming that you want to have the obstacles cleared out. Someone is coming that you don't want to have any, any barriers between. Someone is coming who doesn't want you to just be comfortable. Who wants you to see yourself the way that God sees you. And that someone is the second messenger that Malachi describes. It's Jesus. Now, it might be kind of surprising if, if you caught the, the pictures that Malachi used. It might be kind of surprising to think of, of Jesus coming this way, right? Like a, a launderer's soap or a, a fiery furnace, a refiner's fire. I mean, have you ever gotten a, a Christmas card that has, the Savior is born and a picture with a bar of soap? Or Jesus is the reason for the season and a blazing furnace? No, that's not usually what we think of, is it? And yet, that's exactly what the Bible describes Jesus, how the Bible describes him. I don't know about you, but I don't usually think about laundry soap unless we're running out. Otherwise, it's just kind of one of those automatic things, right? You put the, the soap in the, in the washing machine, you put the clothes in, you push the button, and 45 minutes later, you come back for clean clothes. But what about those really nasty stains? You know those ones that, that they're not coming out unless you use the heavy-duty cleanser, the heavy-duty stuff, and you scrub away. That's actually the picture, that's the term, the kind of soap that's used for describing Jesus here. As the one who can get rid of, the, the only one who can get rid of the stains that otherwise are permanent. And a refiner's fire? Well, a refinery is used to purify, right? Metals, they, they melt down the metal to a liquid state and all the impurities bubble up and are scraped away. So that what's left is, is that metal in its purest form, at least as pure as we can get it, right? And actually the, the temperature, do you know how hot these things get? Right? Gold, it's got to be almost 2,000 degrees to melt gold. That's blazing. And yet, if you ever see a bar of gold, they have the, the stamp imprinted on it, right? And that, that includes the purity. And those bars of gold will often, almost always, say 99.9 or 999.9 out of 1,000. But they're never 100. Because no matter how smart we are, no matter how advanced we, we try to be, humans can never get rid of all impurities. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came for the purpose of cleansing and refining. That's our last takeaway this morning, that Jesus cleanses, he purifies, and he cleanses my cluttered heart, my sinful life. The mountains of worry, the mountains of greed and pride, the valleys of, of lovelessness and selfishness, the rough spots of anger, twists and turns, Jesus came to level them all out, to straighten them all out, to make it all smooth. In my heart and in yours. 
the Bible uses this picture elsewhere. In fact, 1 John 1 says uh, that God sent his son, or the blood of Jesus, God's son, purifies us from every sin. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? The blood of Jesus, God's son, purifies us. See, we don't need soap. We don't need physical soap because we're not talking about physical dirt. We need something spiritual to spiritually cleanse away what, what makes us dirty and foul. We need something to wash away our sins. And the Bible says that the blood of Jesus does that. And his blood can do what nothing else can. Because Jesus was perfect. He lived the 100% pure life that God demands. But then on the cross, what did he do? He gave his life. He shed that pure and holy blood to wash you and me, to cleanse us, to cleanse our stained hearts, to wash our sin-filled lives. The blood of Jesus has washed you and me. And the beautiful thing is that God gives that to you. He gives you this cleansing through his word. He connects his word to the, the water and the sacrament of baptism to wash you in this spiritual cleansing and make you his own. He gives you his very body and blood that he shed on the cross together in that miraculous way with the bread and wine and the Lord's Supper to give you forgiveness. Assure you that all of your sins have been paid for. Jesus gives us his forgiveness because that is the very thing that cleanses us from all of the impurities in our life. And Jesus wants us to take that seriously. He wants us to take this cleansing that he gives to us seriously. Because if we make repentance just this thing that, that's kind of an outward show, yeah, I said the words at the beginning of worship because that's what was printed on the screen and in the worship folder. I did the motions, right? Well, the clutter builds up. You know how fast it comes. It comes faster than, than my office gets dirty. The clutter of worry and bitterness and hurt and fear, it builds up really quick. And if we don't take repentance Seriously, that the peace doesn't last. Because the clutter comes back. But Jesus, he refines us. Not just washing it away, but leading us to, to turn from, right? To have a change in our minds and in our hearts that I'm going I'm to fight against the bitterness. And I'm going to take this hurt and not hold on to it, but I'm going to take it to the cross where Jesus has already paid for it. And, and we need that. We need to be not only to have Jesus purify us, but we need to be purified, right? Does that sound painless? Not usually. And yet we need it. We need this gift from our Savior that, that strips away our pride, that exposes our weakness, because that's what purifies us. It's not pleasant, right, to have the, the mountain of pride, the mountain of worry exposed. And yet God does it so that we stop relying on ourselves 
We stop freaking out about circumstances that we can't control, but that He can. And He does it to lead us to trust Him. God exposes our weaknesses, not because He wants us to get a taste of of what we really deserve, but because He loves us and He wants us to rely on truly what our strength is. And it's not our own wisdom or our own accomplishments, but it's Him. And He wants us to cling and rely on Him. See, Jesus wants us to have peace. He came to give us the gift of peace. But it's not peace with a broken and fallen and failing world. It's peace with God. And it's not peace for just a few fleeting moments just to be replaced by by more worry and fear. But it's peace for eternity. Because, see, what what we sometimes forget Remember how I talked about before, there's all this preparation leading up to the big event. Sometimes we think today is the big event. It's not. December 25th isn't the big event. It's preparation for it. Right now, you and I, God is preparing us for when he comes again. Because that's the main event. That's the party. That's the eternal glory with our God. And all of this is leading to that. And so right now, God is preparing us for the best that's still to come. Might be hard to remember that in the hectic busyness of of this life, of this season, of this week, of this day. But we have peace, right? The peace that the angels sang about on Christmas Eve. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. We have peace because God is not going to abandon us because he abandoned Jesus on the cross. He's not going to come after us for our sin because it's all been paid for. Now we have peace and we look forward to an even greater peace. And we know that while we're going to have trouble today and this week and this season and this life, that God is using that. He's using that to prepare us to strip away our weakness, to expose our mountains and valleys, to level them out, to refine our hearts and purify and cleanse them so that when he comes, we don't prepare anymore. But we're ready for him and we say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. May the peace of our God, which goes beyond our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.